Amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the um, privilege that we have to be here this morning in your house. And thank you for the worship that we have experienced. Jesus, thank you that you're so worthy of worship and worthy of praise. It's our desire, God, to follow your son, Jesus, and to follow what you want us to do. But we sure need your help. We're learning that the uh, Christian walk can only be lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And I know some folks don't understand that, especially some folks that maybe are here today and really don't understand a whole lot about grace and Jesus. But I want to pray today that, Holy Spirit, you'll just like feel free to work in our hearts today, drawing us to your truth and perhaps drawing some folks to Jesus for the very first time. Uh, again, just thank you so much for what we've experienced already. And now may we have the wonderful experience of hearing your word. And Jesus, I do pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, shoot that thing. I'm, I need to warn you, I'm feeling just a little Pentecostal. When those words came up on that screen, it said, Darkness rejoiced as if heaven had lost. And then the next line celebrates the risen Christ. Heaven did not lose. He wins, he wins, he wins. We win because of Christ. He lives today, and that's nothing but good news. Amen? That's just nothing but good news. I tell you what. Pretty incredible. Well, listen, again, we're so glad that you are here today. Thank you so much for coming to Dorsville. Lots of churches to go to. Thank you for coming here. To our regular family and members, just thank you so much for coming again. And I really pray that God will speak to our hearts today. Um, We're in the middle of our series, The Peter Principle. You saw it on the screen. And, And the title today is, well, how many? How many times? How many times? And we're going to talk about a topic that is just literally a game changer. Now, when I was a kid, and uh, again, another bike story. I, I guess I got two really cool bikes when I was a kid. This was probably like in third grade, maybe. And I, I think I got this one for my birthday. I don't really remember a whole lot about this. But one thing I remember particularly was it was cool again. And it was a 24-inch, not a 26. So I hadn't grown up yet. Y'all see how tall I am. I've really grown a lot. I mean, you know, I can really identify with your, knee, your knees being 12 inches long. I can fully identify with that. I want you to know I, I, I get the short thing a lot. But anyway, and so this bike, I remember it had the coolest mud flap on the back, okay? So it had fenders, it had that. But on the back of it, underneath the seat, mom and dad had brought me a, um, a, a tag that said, and I'm not sure if this was prophetic or not. I'm not sure. But it said this. It said, don't follow me. I'm lost. I don't know if it's prophetic or not. I don't know. Kind of a bad thing for a pastor to have a tag that says that. But, you know, I did. And, and I, we, we thought it was cool. We thought it was funny and ha ah, and all that, you know. Uh, but, you know, here's the deal. So often as adults in our Christian journey, that almost seems to be the message we send to the world. Don't follow me. I'm lost. And so often that's because I think sometimes we're trying to figure out the Christian thing. We're trying to figure out, you know, what Jesus wants, what he doesn't want, and how does that happen in our lives. But, but sometimes it's just outright rebellion, if you will, disobedience. Don't follow me because I'm going to do something wrong and I'm not a good example to follow. Well, today we're talking about, again, a game-changer topic. That This is one of those scriptures, I'll just tell you up front now, that this is a scripture that I intend to teach at least once a year and have, by the way, I think for the last several years. It's not just a topic 
but a scripture that we're going to look at today. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6 on giving and generosity is another one. Just look forward to it. It's already in our, our family series coming up between Mother's Day and Father's Day called Home Guard, and it's in there, and we're going to talk about finances, and it's from 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's just one of those scriptures we need to hear over and over and over again. So this morning, we're looking at Matthew chapter 18. The last time you heard it preached fully was when Trey preached it on Youth Sunday, not this year, but the year before, and I referenced it very briefly in a message earlier. So the topic, obviously, then, knowing Matthew chapter 18, and, pre- and Trey preached on it two years ago, was this idea and topic of forgiveness. How many times do we have to forgive? And this is such a game changer. I was thinking about this this morning as I was finishing up studying, I was just getting dressed, I'm going, oh my goodness, if we were to get this, it would totally not only change us, it would change our families. It would change our, our uh, church. It would change our culture if we honestly got this one down. I, I was going to say, I was going to say, and I can't, but I was going to say that it would virtually eliminate divorce in our lives if we got this one down. So I'm not prepared to say that, but I'm prepared to say we could see a 90% decrease in the divorce rate. We could see, we could, we could put an end to funerals where family members show up and they haven't spoken to one another in 10 or 15 years because of unforgiveness. We, we, we could help our students have this incredible relationship with their parents and parents with students and students with parents if we could get this one down. I mean, it's a game changer, guys. If you're, a, if you're a boss, if you're a supervisor, it even bleeds over into that realm if we applied this. Now, again, you're going to hear this, but for the world, that's probably big order, but not for those of us who know Jesus. It's not because, again, we have the Holy Spirit. All things are not possible because of us, but all things are possible through Christ. Um, someone told me, I think this week, and said these words... Uh, this is my favorite verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. What a great verse. Anybody like that verse? Yes. And you know what? It's totally like true. It's totally true. But we live as if we're not sure we honestly believe it. Or maybe we're stubborn and don't want to apply it. I'm not sure which one it is. But today we're going to look at our friend Peter because it's the Peter principle. We're going to learn from Peter today about forgiveness. Now, let me give you a couple of heads up. The scripture today, which is Matthew 18, starting in verse number 21, is a parable. A parable. You say, what's a parable? A parable is a teaching tool that Jesus often used to share. Um, when he wanted to teach a principle, when he wanted to share a truth, he would use a parable, and basically he would make up a story, okay? And he would tell a story, make it up, as he went, he would tell a story that would apply the various truths and teachings that he was trying to share. So in this case, he's going to use a parable for that purpose. Secondly, this, you know, this parable certainly teaches but the big picture I want you to take home, the, the real big bottom line from all of this, it's really, yes, it's what it teaches, but what it does. And what it does is, when we hear this story today, it should motivate us, it should motivate us to be forgivers. It should motivate us to be grace extenders. 
That's the really big deal. So more, even bigger than a teaching principle, it's a motivational tool that Jesus uses. Okay? So Matthew chapter 18, verse number 21. It starts out with our friend Peter and says this, Then Peter came to him, who is Jesus. If you've got you know, certain Bibles, it has the H capitalized, so you know it's Jesus. So Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. So Peter approaches Jesus, and we really don't have time to go into the then, but previous to this, they were talking about forgiveness. So it's like Peter wanted a little clarification, okay? And so he goes to Jesus privately and speaks to him privately and says, okay, so how many times, if my brother offends me, how many times do I need to forgive him, uh, perhaps up to seven times? Now, there's two issues here that are very important, again, that apply to us. It applies in your marriage. It applies in relationships that you have, okay? And that is this. First off, Peter assumed that he wasn't the problem somebody else was. Notice what he says. How many times should my brother offend me? It never really crossed Peter's mind that he would be the offendor. He assumed he was going to be the person that was going to be offended. Okay? It's a pride deal. It's a pride deal. And you know what? That happens a lot. You know, if, you, if you've done any marriage counseling before, it's amazing how often it's always the other person who has the problem. Rarely, rarely, rarely does someone come off and say, It's me. It's me. You know, Andy Stanley tells a story about how he, he said he's terrible at marriage counseling, doesn't do it anymore. He said, you know, he asked people to draw a, draw a pie and just pick out their portion of the problem. And he said people couldn't do it. They don't want to own the fact that they might be the problem. And so Peter had this problem. How often shall my brother sin against me? I'm not going to offend anyone. I'm not going to sin against my brother. But how many times is so, or what, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And that is the second problem. The second is Peter wanted to set limits. So he said, up to seven times. Now, you've probably heard this before. But the rabbis would teach three times. Okay? So the rabbi, if you if we went and saw the preacher, you, know, you, you went to Brent's office for counseling and said, uh, a student comes in and says, my parents are terrible. They're the worst parents in the world. They can't even spell parenting, uh, Brent. So, so how often shall I forgive them, Brent? And the rabbi, Brent, would say, well, I think you ought to forgive them at least three times. You know, hey, isn't that funny? Three strikes and you're out, you know? Okay, so, so when Peter says, you know, seven times, he's doubling plus one what he would hear at church. So, so when they went to the temple, the rabbi would teach on forgiveness and say three times. Peter says, I'm going to double that and add one for good measure. Okay? So, so he was really being generous in this forgiving process. And listen, 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 listen. In the world, that's cool. In a world that sets limits, in a world that isn't very forgiving, in a world that's not grace Field in a world that doesn't extend it very well, three would be good, seven would be incredible. So Peter assumes that he's going to be offended and not be the offender. That's a pride deal. And secondly, he thinks he's being incredibly generous, and for the world, he was. And so, in verse 22, Jesus says this, I do not say to you, 
up to seven times, but 70 times seven. And there's different, you may have an NIV that gives a little bit different. ESV may give it just a little bit differently. Uh, I'm a good old, you know, most of the time a new King James guy. And I like the 70 times seven. That's what I kind of grew up with. But, but the principle remains the same. Now it's interesting. If you remember right, we talked about Peter a while back and Jesus saying, no, Peter, get behind me. Well, this is almost as strong as that. When he says, I don't say to you, he's saying, no, Peter, no, Peter, it is not seven times. That's great. Listen, that's great for the world. Oh, my goodness. People will go, oh, what a forgiving guy. He's just so forgiving. But Peter, we don't play by the world's games. We don't play by their rules. We've got different standards. And my standard, our standard, kingdom standard, is up to 70 times 7 or virtually an unlimited number. Even, Jesus wasn't even saying 490 times. He was basically saying, Peter, in the kingdom, we don't set limits. In the kingdom, we don't set limits. So to teach all of that, Jesus starts telling a story. And he starts in verse number 23 and says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven. There you go. Now, the kingdom of heaven, I know we think kingdoms like we think the United Kingdom. We think about England England and the island and the territories that they control. But now, Jesus is saying, when he says the kingdom of heaven, it's best defined as the rule of God. It's not a place. It's the rule of God. It's the standard that, that God has set for himself and for those who follow him. So, Jesus says, in the kingdom, this is how we do things. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower yet, okay? If you're not a Jesus follower yet, hey, you know, you're kind of off the hook here. Just kind of listen, though, because you might learn something anyway, and you might, in this whole process, we're going to tell the most incredible love story that you've ever heard, how much God loves you and what he's done for you, because that's the big principle of the parable. If you are a Christ follower, any Christ followers here? Come on, don't be afraid, raise your hands now. All right, good deal, yeah. Okay, so for us Christ followers, okay, it says, here's the standard by which we live. Now, it's not optional, okay? It's not optional. It's not like, this is a rule I want to keep, this is one I don't want to keep. This one's too hard, this one's too easy. You know, it's not smorgasbord here. If you're a Christ follower, follower, this is the standard that Jesus gives us. And it applies to your marriage, that rotten husband you got, or that mean wife you got, or those mean parents, or that mean boss, or your rotten neighbor. Whoever it is, it applies to this, okay? It applies to this. So here we go. He says, so, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So he said in this kingdom, in this telling this story, there is a king. And the king wants to settle accounts. And that's a really good illustration of how it is with God and people. He certainly, God as the king, he's the king. And listen, there's coming a time when he wants to settle accounts with everyone. Every person will have an account settling time. Okay? That's how it is. There's a destiny out there, and there's going to be an account settling time. So he wants to settle accounts. The Bible says it's appointed unto a person 
wants to die, and after that, the judgment. Very few people, I've said this before, but very few people really believe that there's nothing after the last heartbeat. Even, even in this crazy culture we live in today, there are very, very few true atheists. Most people believe there's something right after the last heartbeat. So the Bible says it this way. It's important to us to die. We all have an appointment out there somewhere. I did the Baptist hour yesterday. I know you guys all got up at 7 o'clock and listened, but I did the Baptist hour, and she reached the names every month. They lived, they died. They lived, they died. They lived, they died. They lived, they died. So there's a day out there somewhere we're going to die. And after that last heartbeat, There's a time of judgment because a righteous, holy God is going to settle accounts with people. Okay? All right, so hold hold on to that. Now, in verse number 24, and when, and there is a when for everybody, there is a W-H-E-N for everybody, and when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So there was one brought before him, and the account was huge. Um, There's some implication in the story and in the Greek and the way Jesus is telling the story that this was probably an employee of sorts, and probably he was guilty of embezzlement. So he was stealing from the king. So it's not like um, I bought a new car, a new house, and can't afford it. Probably there was some kind of uh, embezzlement thing going on. And so this person's brought before the king and owes him 10,000 talents. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us, and there's probably several ways to explain that, but the best way to explain it probably is this. They've estimated, they the people that are smarter than me, they've estimated that the debt was somewhere around $20 million. Now, almost every person in the room could go, that's a debt. Almost all of us, if not all of us, That is a huge chunk of change. And so this person is brought before the king, and the debt that he owes the king is around $20 million. Now, here what I want you to get. We're that one. We're that one. When it comes to, if if the king is represented by holy God, not just God, holy God, when we stand before him, our sin debt is more than we could ever pay. Again, if somebody said I owed them $20 million or I had to come up with $20 million, they're going to shoot me, get your gun ready, baby, because I'm going down. Okay? Now, and when it comes to our sin debt before a holy God, there is no way we could pay it. No way. So this one is brought before this king, and there is a debt that he cannot pay. Uh, To put it in terms we understand, we ain't got nothing. There's nothing I can drag to God and say, well, God, I I got my coin collection. God, I got a car. I got a house. Take my wife. I've been trying to get rid of her for a long time anyway. So, yeah, take my wife. There's nothing. And that's us and God. When that account settling time comes, it's a point of the man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. When that time comes, and if there's a God and there is, and we stand before him, there's going to be an account that we can't pay. There's going to be a debt that we can't pay. So what's going to happen? Well, the king does it this way in the story. Remember, this is a story now. It's a teaching tool. It's a teaching tool. So, but as he was not able to pay, the guy couldn't pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had 
and that payment be made. In other words, it's a total collapse. It's a total collapse. The king demands a total liquidation. The man, his wife, his children, and everything that he owned. See, the Bible says for every person that the wages, the payment for sin is what? Death. It's death. It's eternal separation from God. A total liquidation. And please keep in mind, there's nothing that you could ever bring. If you've been a Christian a long time, you've forgotten this. You need to hear again. There's nothing we could ever bring to God that would satisfy this. I mean, I, you, you know, you could go to church for 100 years, three times a week, and you can't satisfy that debt. You could give all your money to the church, and you couldn't satisfy that debt. You could, you could you know, give your body to be burned, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, and you could never satisfy this debt. So the king takes action and takes his, him, his wife, his children, everything he owns, and puts them in prison. Okay? And again, after that last heartbeat, there is eternity. And there are two places, and only two places. There's heaven with God, and there's hell without God. That's the only two. There are two kinds of people in the world, and there's two places that they go after eternity. We'll talk more about that in just a second. So the Bible goes on in verse number 26 and says this. The servant, therefore, the guy with the debt, the servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And this is such a strange mixture. Master, have patience with me. Fell down before him. Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you the whole debt. I like the humility but I don't understand. There is no way he can pay this. But, you know, we've all had that. Have you ever had a, a fox, fox hole moment? You know, it's when your wife catches you watching porn on TV or on, on, on the computer. And, oh, no, God, if you'll just save my marriage, I'll do anything. Or, or maybe you, you're, you're driving down the road and a car whips into your lane and you realize you're fixing to have a head-on accident. And you say, oh, God, save me now, please, and I'll serve you forever. I'll go be a missionary in Africa. Anything. Ever had those moments before? Well, this guy realizes it's payday. He's going to prison. His wife is going with him. His children and everything's going to be liquidated. It is game over. Deep weeds. All of that. And so he says, hey, one, I'll humble myself, but I will do whatever it takes to pay you back. The weird thing is he never could. It just wasn't possible. So here's a debtor before the king with a debt he can't pay, making all the promises in the world. We've all been there. We've all been there. You know, come on. You came in at 2 o'clock in the morning, students. You came in at 2 o'clock in the morning the other day. Curfew was 11, and you're tiptoeing through the tulips trying to get past your mom and dad's bedroom, and the door opens. God, anything but grounding for three weeks. So what's going to happen? Well, watch. Verse 27. Then the king, excuse me, well, then the master, then the king, the master of the servant, was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Isn't that incredible? Then the master, then the king, moved with compassion, releases him, Pays off the debt entirely. Now, do you understand? If you are a Jesus follower, if you are a Christian today with the terminology of following Jesus of the cross, 
That's what he did for you. The day when you asked Jesus Christ, when you realized that you were totally separated from God because of your sin, and you believe what Jesus Christ did on a Roman cross like that, when he died in your place and endured the wrath of God in your place, and when you were willing to turn from your sins and follow Jesus Christ for the rest of your life, that's what God did for you. He looked at you and paid a debt that you could never pay. Now, right then is where Baptists need to learn to shout. Can we have a noise? I mean, do you understand what I'm saying today? You are totally in debt to God. You are on your way in a fast track to hell. And Jesus and love and mercy and grace reached down into your soul and forgave your sin, released you from that bondage when death was arrested. He released you from that bondage and set you free. That's something worth celebrating. And trust me, we don't celebrate well, but that's worth celebrating. And I wonder how the guy responded. I wonder if he's like, well, sometimes like we are. Yeah, well, I've heard that truth before. Well, hear it like the first time. God did something for us we could never, never, never do for ourselves. And so he forgives the guy, and in like manner, God forgives us. And there's one word for it, grace. It wasn't... <laughs> It wasn't like the guy got down and said, Oh, Master, Master, please forgive me and I'll pay you back. God was not moved by empty promises. God was not moved by an emotional response. There is one reason why this guy's debt was forgiven, and it was grace. It was God acting on his behalf. God's unmerited favor. The Master's unmerited favor. And there is one reason, if you are forgiven today, there's one reason why you're forgiven. God did not look down from him and say, boy, you're really good looking. Boy, you're talented. I want you on the team. It was his grace. Unmerited favor. He looked at you one day and said, I'm going to extend my grace to you. You know, it's it's a shame that verses become so familiar. But can you hear this for the first time too? For by grace you have been saved. By grace, you've been forgiven. And it happened through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not of yourselves. It's not anything you did. It is the gift of God. Someone say gift. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. God's amazing grace. If you're forgiven today, it was God's amazing grace. And in the story that Jesus is telling, this guy was forgiven because of that amazing grace. The master extended grace. And God extended grace to us, and that's why we're forgiven. Isn't that awesome? But here's the part. It gets like crazy. Here's what it says. In verse 28. Well... That servant, yes, that servant, the one who had just been forgiven um, a $20 million debt, that person who's just experienced God's amazing grace, didn't deserve it, couldn't earn it, but you experienced God's amazing grace, that person went out and found a person of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, about a hundred days' wage. Again, those are smarter than me, said about twenty dollars. Because you gotta remember in that economy it wasn't a whole lot. So about twenty dollars. But a hundred days wage was about a third of a year working twelve hours a day, six days a week. Okay, so it was still a lot. It was still a lot. 
So he finds this person who owns him this. Now, who is the, who's the guy that, that's going to take this guy? The guy who experienced grace. So he goes and finds somebody who owes him 100 days' wage, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me what you owe. This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We allow God to extend grace to us and forgive our sins, and then the smallest infraction we hold against people. And frankly, sometimes I think we do take them by the throat. And we do demand, I want your left arm, cut it off now. I want your right leg, cut it off. I'm, I don't want your I'm sorry. I want your blood. I want, I want a pound of flesh. I want you to hurt just like I hurt. I want you to feel pain like I felt pain. And when we do that, we're acting just like this guy. Now, let me back and remind you. Say, Dwayne, you don't really know how hard it is. Like, I haven't had to forgive and have forgiveness extended to me. If you know me halfway, you know I mess up regularly and have to say these words, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I do know. I do know. But can I go back to Philippians 4.13? We all raised our hands. A lot of us raised our hands and said, it's one of our favorite verses. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Either it's true or it's not. We have to decide if we want to or not. Do we want to forgive or do we not? Well, this guy obviously does not. Takes this guy by the throat and was going to make him pay. You know, grace is an amazing thing. (laughs) No pun intended. Grace is an amazing thing. It's especially amazing when we experience it and don't have to extend it. Can I say that again? Amazing is, grace is particularly amazing when we get to experience it but not extend it. Everybody loves grace when we're on the receiving end. Most people don't like it when we're on the giving end. That's why we don't want to forgive. That's why forgiveness is so hard for us. We love receiving grace. We're so glad, you know, we're glad, we're glad John Newton wrote, I, you, know, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Oh, we love that song. Until it's your neighbor, it's your husband, it's your wife who needs that grace. And then it's a little more difficult. Well, Verse 29, his fellow servant did exactly what he did. He falls down at his feet. He begs him saying, have patience with me. I will pay it all. Does that sound familiar? And he would not but went and threw the guy in prison till he should pay that debt. He could have forgiven him. He should have forgiven him in light of his experience with grace. It was in his capacity to forgive him, but he did not forgive him. He took him and he threw him into prison. How about that? Well, verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what they what had... Shall we try that again? So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. Now, again, I think within the context of this, there's something you need to hear. We are being watched and it's not the federal government 
It's not Big Brother. It is the world. They are watching us. His fellow servants were watching. And when they saw what happened, they were grieved. We've got to get over the fact it doesn't impress the world when you get on your pretty clothes and come to church on Sunday morning and they see your car driving at 9 o'clock and they say, oh, he's going to church again. That does not impress them. And it grieves them. It causes doubt on the kingdom when they see us mistreating other people. When they see us mistreating other people. When they hear that, yeah, 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 between you and your husband or wife, when they hear you screaming at your, 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 your children or your children screaming at you, when they see you on the job and they see this ugliness come out, it grieves them because it undermines any work that God may do in their lives. We're all important about this stuff, and this is all important. But what keeps a lost world lost is how we treat each other and others. Jesus said that. They will know you're my disciples how? By the fact that you love. The fact that you love. So it really grieves the world when they see this going on. In fact, you kind of see that because the Bible says, and, and they came and told the master. They went to the king. And they said, you know, they told the master all that had been done. And he said, well, Dwayne, how does that work? It goes like this. The Holy Spirit is speaking to a person's heart, drawing him to the Jesus. And they look at Jesus and they look at God and say, God, I don't want any part of you. You want to know why I don't want any part of you, God? Because I see Joe's a Christian. Dwayne's a Christian. Brent's a Christian. And I see how he treats people and he tells me he's a Christian. And if that's a Christian, I don't want any part of it. You know, lost people talk to God too. And I'm not talking about prayer. When, sometimes when God is speaking to hearts and trying to draw them into the, to the sun for salvation, God gets an earful. And it most often involves us. I don't want you, God, because of what your people do. The world sometimes is very grieved. Of course, they, throw, they lump it all in the pot. But the world sometimes is grieved. Well, the master... Verse 32, calls in the servant, says, You wicked servant, um, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. In other words, I showed you grace. Now, keep in mind, this is a parable. Now, every theological piece of the puzzle is going to fit because it's a parable. Jesus is teaching something. I'm glad to report to you, God's not going to drag you in and say, Aha, you are saved, now you're not. It's a teaching tool. But in the story here about forgiveness... This master, this king, drags him in and says, Hey, I forgave you because you begged me. You asked me to forgive you the debt and to give you more time, and I did better than that. I forgave you. Now look at this. Look at verse 33. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? I think that is a question God would ask us. Wayne, how could you not forgive somebody when what I did for you? I think God would ask some wives. How can you not forgive? I don't care what he did. How can you not forgive your husband 
when I forgave you? How can you not forgive your wife when I forgave you? How can you not forgive the pastor when I forgave you? How can you not forgive your parents when I forgave you? How can you not forgive your boss when I forgave you? How can you not forgive a student, teachers, when I forgave you? Wow. That's a pretty good question, isn't it? Kind of piercing, isn't it? Are you wanting to do this yet? Yeah. This might be one of those stories maybe I want to rip out the Bible. But it's true. It's just true. I, you asked me to forgive you and you begged for forgiveness. I did better than that. I erased the debt. Shouldn't you have done the same? And my brothers and sisters, let me look you dead in the eye and tell you this. Should you not do the same? Should we not do the same? And if this isn't important right now, it is. But I'm going to tell you this. For a chunk of you, there's somebody in your past, you would love to take them by the throat right now and strangle them and throw them in prison. It is time to let it go. If you're a Christ follower, it is time to let it go. Because that's kingdom rules. That's how, that's how God plays. You're fixing to be glad this is a teaching story again. Verse 34. And his master was angry and delivered him. I'm glad again this is a teaching tool. Don't make theology out of this because it's not there. And his master was angry and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due him. And probably some of us are going, yeah, that's right. As much grace as he got. And then, boy, yeah. And some of y'all are going, I'm glad it's a teaching tool because I've got this going on in my life. I'm so angry at someone. I'm so mad at someone. I'll never forgive them. You've got this going on. You're glad that God's not going to say, Hey, I'm going to deliver you to the torturers until you pay everything. You're real glad that's not true doctrinally. And we could like quit there and say, Brother Dave's going to come up and do the invitation. And I'm going to pray and give you an opportunity to come. And maybe you want to pray at the altar about forgiveness. And we'd all feel pretty good about it, wouldn't we? And then Jesus wrote verse number... 35. He messes up everything. He messes with our head now because here's what he says. Speaking to Peter and the boys probably. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart sincerely does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Thank you, Jesus, for messing with our heads. I was okay when this was all hypothetical and we can celebrate grace and say, I'm so glad God forgave me. Yay, we ought to forgive one another. That's easy. Okay, we kind of get that. But now he's going to mess with our heads. So my heavenly Father will do to you if you don't, from your heart, forgive your brother his trespasses. What does that mean? What can that mean? Because I am a dyed-in-the-wool, red-blooded, once you're truly born again, you can't lose your salvation guy. And that's not because I like it to make me feel good. I believe this word teaches that thoroughly. I believe in the eternal security of the believer. So what could this mean? Well, I think you've got two choices. First off, let me just be, can I be very candid and honest? I don't know. 
It doesn't sound good, but I don't know. But can I give you a couple ideas? The first is this. Now listen carefully. It could be that Jesus is teaching that it's so, it's so uncharacteristic for a believer in Jesus Christ to not forgive, to not be grace extenders. It might be an indication of a need to be saved. It could be Jesus is teaching that it's so, it's so uncharacteristic for a believer in Christ to not be a forgiver to not be a grace extender, that must be an indication of something being wrong. You understand what we do, don't you? All you've got to do, you can get drunk on Friday, you can talk harshly to your wife or your husband, you can be a terrible parent. All you have to do is come to church twice a week, and boy, it's your funeral. He was a wonderful saint of God. All you got to do, just come to church twice a week. We put the highest priority on the ability to come to a building. God puts the highest priority on how we treat people. I know the other one's easier. But that doesn't make it true. The highest priority is how we treat people. So it could be if, if we have a lifestyle, if we have a, 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 just a lifestyle of, of the inability, to, the refusal, not the inability, the refusal to forgive, it might be an indication you're a really nice religious person, but are you born again? Are, do you know that you know that you know, Jeremy, that you've been born again? Jeremy asked me today, what was my first sermon? Do you know that you know that you know that you've been born again? So, so that could be one possibility. And the other's a little different, but, but it's something we need to be taught again. It, he could be teaching us that there's, hmm, that there is a day out there that we're going to be held accountable as believers. You know, let me, let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we all, how many? Yeah, yeah. We all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. Can I, can I read that again? For we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. Now, good news. The topic of discussion at that event is not your salvation. But it is accountability. When you received Jesus Christ as Savior, your sins were forgiven. They were erased. They were done away with. But to live your life as if there's not a day of accountability for how you live this life is wrong. In fact, it's unbiblical. So it could be that when Jesus says, so my Heavenly Father will do, it might be that day of the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be the cakewalk we think it is that we think we will be held accountable. Not determine if we go to heaven or hell, but whether we get rewards or no rewards. could be that. The bottom line is, this is serious business. This is serious business. It's kingdom. It impacts your lost friends. It impacts your family. It impacts you. It impacts me. That's how big it is. Now, let me close with two scriptures. I'm just going to read. No, we're done preaching. 
Let me read them to you because Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul just lays it out there, just lays it out there. Here's what he says. In Ephesians 4.32, he says this, And be ye, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13 is the other one. Forbearing, putting up with one another, and forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Do you. So what's the deal? Well, since I told you up front the caveat that we can't do this, I don't care how good of a Christian you think you are. We can't do this stuff in the flesh. But what we can do is we can get home today or tonight and we can talk to God and say, okay, God, you know this is an issue in my life. I'm not very grace-filled. I'm not a very graceful person. And you may have something you need to talk about personally with God about someone did you wrong. Sounds like a country song, doesn't it? <laughs> hey. <laughs> So you may need to talk about that. But just tell God. God, I've come to the conclusion, this is a problem in my life. Okay, let's call it this. It's a sin in my life. It's a sin in my life. I'm asking your forgiveness because I'm willing to turn from it because of that. I'm willing to turn from it. But God, I can't do this. I need you to do it through me. So, so would you please, through the Holy Spirit, help me, teach me, to forgive. Boy, you know, I, maybe for somebody it's going to be like a hallelujah, 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 and instantly you're the most forgiving person in the world. And you go, wow, wasn't that easy? But more likely it's going to be a process because someone's going to do you wrong and they're going to power, you're going to power up. You're going to reach out and take him by the throat and the Holy Spirit's going to go, uh-uh-uh. That's how the world does it. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And you're going to power down and say, Okay, God, by your strength, I can do this. And you're going to stand forgiveness. And a little bit later, somebody's going to pull out in front of you, and you're going to power up. And then God, the Holy Spirit's going to go, Uh, uh, uh. Remember, we're in this world, but not of this world. You're supposed to forgive, and you're going to power back down. And you know what's going to happen eventually? Those instances are going to be further and further apart. And you know what's going to happen, sir? Your wife's going to fall back in love with you again. Ma'am, you're going to start having that marriage you've always dreamed about. Your children are going to want to come home. Oh, it's going to be a perfect world? Oh, no! No, no. There'll never be a perfect world. But will it be a better world for you? Uh-huh. <laughs> Lloyd's got it. Uh-huh. He's going to say, amen, that's right. It will be. And you know what? Yeah, I don't, I don't like to say it this way, but, you know, it's not like we please God with our actions because we don't. I mean, we've already earned his favor. But God knows that this will make our life better. He wants this for us because it makes our life better. And it saves the people this hard because the people see Jesus, they see us, and they go, I want what that guy's got. I want that in my life. And we get to tell them about Jesus.
So the bottom line is this today. If you're here today and you heard a lot of gospel, if you're not a Jesus follower and you came because there's lunch here today, you know, if you're not a Jesus follower, Brent's going to be standing up front. He would love to share with you. We have some guys who'd love to tell you about Jesus and what he's done for you. And it's an amazing story. It's worth your time to hear it. It's probably what you're looking for even today. It may be you felt just like coming to church, but God got you here to hear this story today. It might be that. If you're here today and you're already a Jesus follower, you know, you know what I think? I think this is going to be one of those times, David, we're going to just um, like have you guys sing, and I'm going to have the folks bow their heads because I want you to have some time with God. And so while they're singing, I just want you to bow your head, and then we'll have you raise your hand, and we can join David because he always got such a great song to end with, and so we'll do that, okay? So let's pray together. Well, God, um, yes, thank you very much for your truth. It's hard. But, God, we believe with you all things are possible. We believe your word, and we said we love the verse, and we believe the verse. Now help us to live the verse. Father, for the person that's in bondage today by some event that's held them in the bitterness of unforgiveness, would today be the day that they could be set free by you, by you. If there's a friend here today who heard the story about Jesus and forgiveness and, God, what you did for us, even though we didn't deserve it. When we experienced Romans 5 eight, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. May they be drawn to you and forgiven of their sins today. God, I'm asking through the Holy Spirit for you to do something big in our lives, to do something big in our lives. And Jesus will give you the honor and the glory and the praise for it. Amen.